to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. And you can use uh, your Bible or the Pew Bible. If you're using the Pew Bible, the reading will be on page 1016, 1016, and then it'll move over to 1017. We're starting with Luke chapter 1 at verse 26. Today, I want to finish the journey of the apostolic tradition. This is a series we started a couple of months ago where we looked at all the apostles and uh, most of them, we, we passed over a couple for different reasons, but we have looked at the apostles. Last week we looked at women of the apostolic tradition and today we finish the journey with what I believe is the first apostle and the first Christian, Mother Mary. And so this is her story first from scripture. Luke chapter one, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, Now how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. Now, please jump ahead to verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has known strength with his arm, shown strength with his arm, and has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So if we didn't know anything else about Mary, you'd have to say that that little bit of scripture right there speaks volumes, wouldn't you? I mean, 
What a remarkable young woman. Now, many sermons about Mary will make much of her age. She was probably a teenager. And much will be made of, of various social uh, issues related to her uh, conceiving a child without having yet been in the full consummation of the marriage that she had with Joseph. And in those days, of course, you know, when a person was betrothed to another, it was virtually married. They were virtually married in the sense that they were committed for life. And uh, yet there hadn't been a wedding ceremony and the proper consummation, which means that this pregnancy would have been viewed as scandalous. Now, much is made of all of that, but to really represent who Mary is and why we should revere her, and for my part, see her as perhaps the first apostle and certainly the first Christian, you have to listen to what she says about what's happening to her. You have to listen to her own words about what's happening to her. She is saying that despite the unbelievable nature of this greeting from heaven, she says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Now, how many times in your life have you found yourself confronted with a very difficult situation and had to make a decision about whether this was God's will and whether you should accept it? The, 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 the true nature of a good Jew and a good Christian is the willingness to accept God's will. I mean, this is like the heart of what it means to serve and love the God of all creation, the one we call Yahweh in the Old Testament, the Heavenly Father in the New Testament. And Mary does this presumably without hesitation. It seems to her that what is about to happen is God's will and therefore whatever the consequences, it's worth it. And that is the essence of what makes her the first Christian. She's accepting that the Christ is in her and that she will bring forth the long-awaited Messiah. And so she knows before anybody else on the earth that the Messiah has come, the Christ has come. The other thing I want you to hear from her own words is how she lauds God's preference for the humble people, how she celebrates in her Magnificat is what it's usually referred to, and she celebrates that God exalts the humble in a way that is truly profound, and he scatters the minds of the proud. Now, those of us who were in the Sunday school class together a little while ago, I told them to help me define. I said, guys, help me figure out what the definition of sin is in its very essence. And we all agreed that it was about pride, that sin is at its heart, pride. And so this fundamental apostolic tradition starts with Mary because she says that the reason she's willing to bear this incredible responsibility is because God favors the humble. That God is ready to work through those who are not full of themselves and not too proud, not over 
uh, ambitious for their own sake. So in a nutshell, what I want you to take away from Mary is this strong tendency toward accepting life as it comes with God as the center of all things. And for us as Christians, this is a stumbling block for many reasons because so many of us have been nurtured in a church tradition or a religious culture that seems to have more concern for our tastes, for our wants, our desires. We go to church expecting to receive something instead of going to the church to proclaim God's glory like Mary does and to surrender ourselves to God's will like Mary does. And so the first and most important characteristic of Mary that also reflects the apostolic tradition is faith and humility and a desire, a desire to magnify God above self, to recognize that whenever we put our own self-interests ahead of God's will, we're pushing ourselves further away from God and further away from each other, which is exactly the opposite of what the Lord desires. Mary was a natural at being a Christian, and in a sense, you could say she helped to invent the thing. She has this compassion in her, and we talked last week about men and women and the differences and how we need both elements in the Christian home and in the Christian family because there is a tendency uh, on men's part to be of a certain type of personality and a tendency on women's part to be of a certain type of personality. And these are very broad and general terms, but the Bible pretty clearly informs us that God made us the way God intended us to be, male and female. And in this case, Mary is our primary example of, of a godly woman. She serves as this principle of, of godliness among women, and it is so evident in her, her maternal instinct, in her compassion, uh, in, in the sense of being a part of, of a, a larger community that is in many ways like a family. Um, by that I mean, for example, that like at the wedding in Cana, Mary's troubled by the distress of the bridegroom and the bride's family and the bridegroom's family because of their predicament. Why should she care, right? You know, um, that's, that's kind of what happens in a lot of our life situations, you know. Well, not my problem. How many of you have thought that? When you hear other people suffering or, or experiencing the consequences of their poor decisions or perhaps their thoughtlessness, you know, you go, well, that's not my problem. I'm glad it's not my problem. Uh, let's see, what's another one I hear a lot? Oh, it, uh, it, it stinks to be you. <laughs> Replace words as needed. And so, you know, this is not the character that you see exhibited in Mary. Rather, she says, well, this is really a predicament and I don't want to see my friends embarrassed or shamed. What can I do about it? Oh, my son's kind of gifted in certain ways. Let's just see what he can do about it. And you know, Mary in that 
purely maternal way that mothers, you know, I'm, I'm in my 60s, my mother's in her 90s, and if my mom calls me today and tells me to do something, I bet money I'll do it, <laughs> right? You know, because when mom tells little sons and daughters to do things, it doesn't matter how old any of us are, we tend to obey. And so what did Jesus do? He said, yes, mother. He tried to talk her out of it, but she said, son, you know, gave him that look. And Jesus did it. He solved the problem because mother wanted it to be solved. And this was all a love thing. It was all built around compassion. Obviously, Mary is a very resilient person. She's somebody who has gone through no end of trials and tribulations. We, we see this because this is just life as a Hebrew in the wilderness, or I should say in the countryside, uh, the, the you know, uh, smaller rural communities of their time uh, under the oppression of the Romans and the Jewish governments and these are people who are just trying to subside. They're just trying to get by and do what they got to do to keep their families fed and sheltered and, and uh, to have meaning in their life. And so this was a woman who had a, a rugged uh, interdependence with her family and other people in the community and who was not just this, this sort of... of soft person. She was tough. She was tough. Mary was somebody who I feel certain, I feel certain, would be appalled to think of herself being elevated to an undue status in our society and to, she would not, I believe, embrace worship or devotion to her that took the place of Christ as the one who is the center of all things. So for that reason, I will talk to you for just a second about how it came to be that some in our society, in our, in our world of Christendom, have become so really devoted to Mary in a way that seems for many of us inappropriate and it really comes from a pattern that repeated itself quite frequently in the earliest days of church history. So we'll do a little school here for a second. And just to remind you that soon after the deaths of the apostles, there were people who were trying to answer questions that would have been readily solved for them by the apostles, but without the apostles, then there is this chain of authority that has to be established. And there's always the human factor and not to mention the enemy trying to complicate things. So for example, if the apostles are gone now and someone says, well, I know what Peter would say. I know what Paul would say about that. I know what John would say about that. And the person that says that would immediately be confronted with somebody who would say, well, how do you know that? What makes you the expert on what John would say or Peter would say or Paul would say? My point is, is that as church evolved from being a movement led by the apostles into a movement that spread under 
people who were uh, disciples of the various apostles, the chain of authority started to break down a little bit. And then it got more complicated when the Roman government under Constantine decided to embrace Christianity as the official state religion and therefore introduced a lot of Romanization to the process. And so what we ended up with was people trying to create a chain of authority for the sake of the Christian believers. So most bad things or incorrect things start out as a good thing, as a, as a desire to, to, to solve somebody's problem. So imagine that you have a large population of illiterate people who want to learn and and to serve, they want to learn about Christ and they want to serve, and yet we don't have Bibles that are easily accessible or scrolls of Scripture. We don't have a lot of the things that we take for granted now. So how do you communicate the stories? Well, you, you create art that tells the story. You might not believe this, boys and girls, but in churches where they have lots of stained glass windows, well, that was, the, that was their version of comic books back in the day. It told the story with art. It explained things to people in a way that they could visualize without the ability to read or write. And it was all intended for good. It was all intended for good. What happened soon after the apostles died off is there got to be a great deal of controversy around the true nature of Jesus. People ask questions like, well, was Jesus fully human and fully God? How's that work? And other people said, well, I think he was fully God. He was a spirit being, and he only appeared to be human. And then there were people who said, well, I think he was purely human, and he, he, he had a particular gnosis or particular spirit-given knowledge that made him superhuman in certain ways. So he's like a person with superpowers, you know, like, like Spider-Man got bit by the atomic spider or something, right? And so they had this kind of idea about Jesus' true nature. And so one of the ways that the church, in its attempt to create a, an authoritative chain of understanding was to, to give explanations for these things that could transmit through the population in a, in a safe and, and reasonable way. And it became apparent that around then, if you wanted to understand Jesus' true nature, you were going to have to understand who gave birth to him. And so a lot of questions then arose around Mary's nature. If Jesus is able to be God's ultimate sacrifice for all the sin of the world and all creation, then how does his holiness happen? They asked this question, and some people said, well, you know, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. Yeah, but Mary was a sinner like us, born naturally with sin. And some people have a problem with that. And so they say, well, that can't work. And again, remember that they were dealing with heresies. And a heresy is a word that describes um, a violation of, of what's considered inside the doctrinal boundaries. Okay? Some heresies aren't bad because they make us question the boundaries and make sure we got them right. 
But in the end, it's heresy until it's proven not to be. And so in order to address these heresies, people started trying to figure out how best to describe Mary. And this is where the church, as it was in those days, the only church, the word Catholic in the small c means the universal church, the everybody's Christian church. And so in those days, the Catholic church with a small c is trying to develop a chain of authority so it can address questions like this. And they start having people like bishops and, and eventually they come up with the papacy. And again, this is after the Romanization of Christianity. And these people determine that they need to have a clear sort of doctrine about Mary, but they also create something called dogma, which is a universally shared belief that hasn't been formalized. And so dogma is another word for tradition. We've always done it this way. The reason we never disagree about this is because we never disagree about this. That's dogma, okay? So why do some people have this reverence for Mary that seems inappropriate to us? Because the church in its attempt to help solve the problem of the heresies around the nature of Jesus created another problem by writing a heresy about the nature of Mary. Now this would be an offensive thing for me to say to some people, but this is why we are here worshiping in this Protestant tradition. Because this was something that separated people of the old church Catholic tradition from each other. This was an issue that separated them among others. Because at some point, now I'll give you one last history thing and then we'll wrap this up. Remember that the Dark Ages followed the fall of Rome, okay? So after the Roman civilization collapsed and barbarians took over that part of the world, we went into a period in history called the Dark Ages, which meant that, that people were in survival mode and religious orders had cloistered together in their own form of castles. So basically around the countryside, you had castles that were be, being run by secular leaders and they protected everybody within their walls. And then you had religious orders that were being run by religious leaders and everybody was protected within those walls. And everybody on the outside of the walls of these various cities and, and religious uh, institutions were apt to be in trouble with the various barbarians that ran. You know what, it's not all that different in the dark ages than in one of those zombie apocalypse shows that you watch on TV now. You're safe inside the walls with other people who are trying to stay alive. You're in danger outside the walls. Keep that in mind and understand that a lot of superstition came into the religious system then. And a lot of religious systems evolved into a form of government and rule. And so much of what we tend to think of as absurd in certain systems of religious activity can stem from, does stem from Middle Ages sort of ideologies and, and prop, uh, prospects of, of people in those days were pretty limited. So much of what we have in these traditions around Mary, for example, came from that period and some of it never really changed. 
And then along came a guy named Martin Luther, and well, that's a whole other story for a whole other occasion. But I wanted to share that with you because we can't really celebrate Mary without acknowledging the fact that her reputation and her record in the human story, especially among Christians, is a source of conflict and a source of disagreement for many Christians. What I would recommend is, first of all, don't pick fights with your Catholic friends about Mary. It's not worth it. Just don't. Now, that sounds like we're giving up on them. What I mean is, is talk to them about Christ. That's all. Just talk about Christ. Just talk about Christ. Don't talk about anything that you don't know what you're talking about. Talk about what you know. I was this way, then I met Christ, and now I'm this way. That you can do effectively every day. The other thing I would say is, is if you're prompted to try to understand the true nature of Mary and how you interpret your relationship with Mary, the most important thing is, is that this is without doubt one of the most remarkable women on any plane. Maybe the most remarkable woman because she bore God's child and she did it faithfully, courageously, and evidence from scripture indicates that she stayed a part of the program throughout her entire life. She was the first Christian, the first apostle, and she was faithful to her role throughout her entire life. And that makes her someone who is more than worthy of our admiration and our respect. And like all the saints of old, these are people whose lives serve as examples for us. And more than that, proof of how God blesses you and why. And it means that, well, if we're not enough like Mary or Joseph or any of the apostles, then why not? Because this whole series is about reclaiming the apostolic tradition, about reclaiming something that started with people's personal relationships with Jesus Christ and somehow over the last couple thousand years has turned into a lot of religious dogma that we take for fact or discipline. A lot of religious tradition that makes us feel good but doesn't honor Christ. Look to the apostles, and this Christmas consider starting with Mary and Joe, and ask yourself why your life isn't more like theirs, and invite the Holy Spirit to help you live as they did, and you'll be living out the apostolic tradition more effectively. Let us pray. Thank you, God, for your word. As always, I pray that whatever is not from you would be wiped away, and whatever is from your heart and mind may it be burned in our hearts and minds so that we can truly follow you with the faithfulness of Mary, and be a part of all that you do for the betterment of the world and for your eternal purpose so that we can be with our bridegroom when he soon returns. Amen. Amen.